0: Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is Karen McCartney, a writer, author, and creative director. You may know her from her weekly design columns in the Good Weekend magazine, or you may have one of her architectural books on your bookshelf. Iconic Australian Houses is one of her bestsellers. Karen started out in journalism back in London now in Australia as a writer and editor and working on various magazines then her life changed suddenly and so did her brand hi Karen welcome what was the turning point in your life
1: Well, there's a big question. I mean, the thing with turning points is you don't often recognise them until you look back upon them. And I think it was probably um, in 2012, after having been at News Limited for 12 years, I was made redundant in a swathe of editorial redundancies of senior people. Mm. And so suddenly you kind of have to rethink what it is that you do, what your skills are, how are you going to employ those skills in a broader way and how are you going to actually make a living?
0: Mm. Was it a really tough time for you at that point?
1: Well, it was not it wasn't. In one way, the fact that I didn't love my job at that period was a real bonus. You know, I I really was at a time, even when I was working there, because previously I'd been an editor and an editor is a really great role because you produce something every month. You have a reason, you make decisions, you have a team, you're very connected to a product and an audience. But when you uh, moved into a more senior position and you become more a a manager Mm -hmm. and you're divorced from that day-to-day creativity. And I found that very difficult. So by the time I um, left news, I was in a kind of managerial role that didn't suit me. And I was really became aware that I wanted to move what I did every day closer to what I considered the essential creative me. Mm. And so with that awareness, then when this redundancy came along, Yes it was difficult because even though you're you're sort of happy to go on one level there's another part of you that says even if it's only a tiny little voice they don't want me anymore so you have to kind of you know come to terms with that but in a funny way that can be quite a driving force because you think right you know I've got to crack on here what skills do I have and how am I going to use them
0: And did you did you crack on right away or did you have like oh, a
1: Oh I cracked
0: on <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder if you had like a grieving Period, you know, you know, it's funny that you you say
1: that. that. No, I was very, very um, determined to have this. Um, brave face and Mm -hmm. and just to get on with it. We went on a holiday and we went to Paris and that was with my two children, my husband. Mm -hmm. And I did have a moment where it kind of, we had a sort of pathetic family argument, as you do. And I just remember then suddenly going into this kind of crying jag that I couldn't stop. But then once that was done, and I think that was about the kind of having to have the brave face and to unpack, you know, there are a lot of relationships in work that I really valued and Mm-hmm. Suddenly, your day to day comes to an end. Um, but once that was done, I was I was truly done.
0: And so you just repackaged your life and went straight into it.
1: Well, I was I was offered a job with a startup, which couldn't have been more different to mm-hmm. the business I was in. You know, I was in a big multinational corporation, and then I was in a in a warehouse in um, Alexandria, wearing a coat in winter and bringing my oh, own geez. computer. So you know, it's sort of. But that's quite good because it's all about. The people. And one of my resolves in this kind of idea of how do you repackage yourself or design your life, one of my things is just work with people that you like and that you're on the same creative wavelength with. And that doesn't mean there won't be differences of opinion, but you'll resolve them in a way that is um, a positive way because you're actually all on the same page. And that rule has stood me in really good stead um, since leaving because you don't waste any time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so in this startup, I was sort of editorial director. It was very exciting. It was new. and um, But I also knew at that time that I didn't want a full-time job. So I kind of negotiated a sort of 10 days a month so that I still had that margin to develop my own things, my own ideas, my own books, uh, my own creative projects, because that was very important to me. What I felt was when I left, it's funny, sometimes you learn by what you don't want to do anymore. And, you know, I knew I didn't want to do PowerPoint presentations with um, rooms full of men in suits, to be very blunt, and um, and so I kind of had this notion that I wanted a sort of creative mixed business. You mm-hmm. know that I could do um, things that intersected, but that were different. So books was definitely one of those things that I felt I could could get on with, and at the same time as doing a book, trying to think about what the halo effect of that book could be. So you put so much work into producing a book. Um, so I did an exhibition. Um, at Sydney Living Museums around the iconic books, and I did um, a book called Super House, and we did an exhibition around that. So I tried to kind of think of other ways to draw out the work and the message, and kind of have it work on on multiple levels. So I did become more entrepreneurial in my thinking because you kind of go, I've done this body of work what else can i what else can i do with it how can i extrapolate it to this broader That's audience isn't
0: it? just thinking about when you're working for somebody else and the other the business you're working for has the responsibility of keeping that business in in business and all the financing, etc when you're out on your own doing your own thing does that kind of top of mind for you it's like i need to make this work i need to make x amount what, of money i need to have well, the, a, a growth path that i'm aiming for
1: i mean the it, you can't, in the things that I do, be too driven by money because there isn't a huge, like with books, It's you do it for the love, yeah. not, not the money. But it was more that, the, that um, like, as you say, when you're in a corporate environment, in a funny way, you're more passive because you're supported and the things around you happen to you. You know, there's meetings organized, there's all sorts of... Um, mm-hmm structures around what you do and what's expected of you. Whereas when you're on your own, you kind of go, right, well, what do I like doing? Who do I like doing it with? What would be interesting? And I find, um, to, slightly to my surprise, I love doing the deal. I love kind of getting um, an idea over the line with somebody and making something happen. Um, and that I find quite exciting. So part of it is actually driving an idea through to its end conclusion and really kind of not milking it but, but getting yeah, getting its full expression out there.
0: So are you in a happier place as, as a result of that? Oh,
1: a hundred times happier. Awesome. I, I used to drive home thinking I was going to um, get online and look at houses in Tasmania. That's mm-hmm. when I knew it had been a really bad day, <laughs> <laughs> how quickly I was online.
0: There's nothing wrong with Tasmania? No, that's what I
1: mean. It was, my, it was my good spot. It was where oh, I wanted I to escape okay, to. Okay,
0: cool. What do you feel is the key to communication in this high-touch digital world where we're always on screens?
1: Well, it's funny to turn that around. Actually, books have a great role. I mean, I know you love books um, and it's that physicality and, and that, um, you know a lot of publishers now talk as books as, as objects it doesn't mean that the content ha- you know, doesn't have to deliver and be wonderful and engaging but they know that people want them on their coffee tables they know that they're a kind of um, a, a beautiful thing so at the recent London Book Fair I talked to a publisher and they said there's this really new optimism around books mm. so they're, they're, it works I think in parallel to digital uh, it's not an in, instead of and I think a younger generation are responding to to books as well. I mean I work in really illustrated books. That's my kind of thing that I really enjoy because you can bring together, you know, a concept, the visuals, the words as the author. And again, as an ex-editor, you can kind of package it up in a way that is a complete, you create a mini brand with a book. And I think that's what I was trying to say earlier with these ways of doing exhibitions or whatever around books. Um, Each time you think of the, like I've got one coming up in September called The Alchemy of Things. And that to me is a title. That was a plug. that was a plug, a gratuitous plug, um, and that is something that actually has things that ideas that people c- can hook on to and can be discussed. But then also you've got the object, which, again, a gratuitous plug will be really will be really beautiful.
0: As always, mm. why do you do it?
1: The books, yeah. Uh, as I say, they're they're the bit of it that really I feel defines who I feel I can be creatively um because so much of the other things I do you know I do a column for Good Weekend and that's really about that audience and what's right for them Mm -hmm. um and I do little mini branding projects for people which is about drawing out what you know their brand can be a world you you know really well Um, but um the books I feel can be pure me in a way and and um uh, the, the last one I did perfect and perfect is sold quite well and I'm always grateful when they do sell, but almost part of me is prepared to kind of do it and um, I'll promote it as much as I'm able. But the, the selling bit is not for me the, the key thing. It's me feeling I've had an opportunity to really express something great.
0: So you don't mind if it doesn't
1: sell? Oh, look, I, I I, mean, it's much nicer because in a way you want people to see it and appreciate it. And the great thing about do, the social media world, which I think is really good for certain types of illustrated books, is you find your little audience, you know, and, and they in turn find each other. Mm. So if you've got a strong enough premise, it kind of threads through the Instagram world, particularly in a really pleasing way. So I'm always delighted if somebody has a snapshot of my book in an edition. Italian store or an American store and this idea that it's kind of spreading out and being seen by all sorts of people. So it's more that it's being seen and I guess with being seen is being sold. So you hope that enough people see it to make a difference. So I
0: guess the thing is with, with the magazine world that you are in before, you already had very high expectations from... The owners, oh, or someone in charge, uh, yes. and you've got to reach this number, this target,
1: this yes. number of sales. Exactly, and you know that that was then aggregated and was taken every six months to the trade. You know, were you up, were you down? Um, and, and so th- there was sort of pressure, and and that. Again, back to the cover thing. Was that a successful cover? Was that not a successful cover? Um, what does that mean? Were you too far ahead of the curve for your audience? Were you too ordinary? was it? And you know, it's such an unpredictable world what mm-hmm. is just hitting the zeitgeist just at that moment, yeah. um, that, yes, you did feel that pressure, that creative pressure very keenly. And yet sometimes, um, when you just freed up for that, you got the better results.
0: How many more books do you think you'll do? Is there loads of books left in you?
1: I I drive my husband mad because I've always got a new idea, you know, so I have got two more ideas. In fact, we're looking at doing a combined iconic um, of taking the two volumes and putting them together, so I'd be very excited. You know, it's been around for 12 years. To, to give it another kick-along would be really fantastic, fantastic. What a great idea. Because, you know, the interest in that period just seems to increase rather than reduce, and so... To give things again another life would be, I'd be really excited by that.
0: You're painting this incredible world to to live in, you Mm. you know, with the magazines and now the books, et cetera. You look at those and you go, oh my God, look at that house, look at that chair, look at that way that person lives. And for me, I look at that, I'm inspired by that. But often, sometimes I'm looking at going, Oh God. It makes me feel a bit dissatisfied with my yes, life.
1: Yes, yes. There's the so you, house envy. Yeah. There. But it's part of um it's interesting, you know, when I see um Our house is a 60s house and it's in the first iconic book. And it's as tidy as it's ever, ever been. It's never (laughs) looked like that ever again. So you've got to remember that these houses have stylists. They have people who clean up. Like sometimes David goes into a house and he has to clean the windows and sweep in corners. And so everything is zhuzhed for the camera. Flowers are bought in, sometimes bits of furniture. So I think that even though they are pretty kind of immaculate places, People still live in them. People still have stuff. Everything's shoved in a cupboard. Um, I think, yeah, I don't think you need to worry too much. Maybe
0: you need to do a book on that.
1: Yes, the real, the, the before stuff. and after. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, just feel like, yes.
0: I mean, it must drive. I mean, it's aspirational yes. and you want to you live to that kind of standard. Uh, I think a lot of people do. I guess the question is, does that deliver happiness? Does that make you happier? Yeah, the more, yeah, I, more better designed or nicer things that you have, and uh, uh, more personal things you have around your home? How does I that think your... uh, yeah.
1: I look at some places that are very clean and spare, and I know that's that I can uh, admire the aesthetic, but no, that's not for me. I like things, and um, once uh, I had to do a talk when uh, Bruce Rickard, who designed our house, who's now he died a few years ago, he hated doing talks, so he'd get his people who lived in his houses to talk for him. Yeah, that's cool, and it sort of forced me to think about what in the house gives me pleasure what do I because I'd never lived in a house that was designed by an architect before they'd always been like a Victorian terrace or something um, like that and so you you do then begin to tune into the fact that you get winter sun and you can read the paper and have a coffee in, in sun um, when it's cold outside and the way the the flow of the house was arranged and the relationship of inside and out and even functional things like the way you get from the laundry to the washing line you know these simple pedestrian everyday things, but actually they do contribute – It's a very, this house, it's not big, but it closes down in winter and kind of feels quite protective and it opens up in summer and is quite expansive. And so the thought that's gone into how it's engineered and put together and how you actually navigate through it actually contributes daily. And also the other thing is it's very integrated with nature. He was an early proponent of um, natives, you know, when everybody was having English style gardens. And the the connection to the trees and to the sky is something that's rubbed off on, you know, sort of our children who will go, Mum, look the sky, it's a really beautiful sky, look at this and so forth. So I think that if a house can actually draw in those things and, and make a younger generation who's very focused on their phones, look up, even if it's only to take an Instagram of the sky. Um, but at least they understand it. So I think that kind of all-encompassing well-being. Um, it, it doesn't need to be a shouty, obvious thing. In fact, more often, it's a subtle thing um, that 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 it made me realize and, and value it a great deal as a result.
0: Mm. How long have you lived in that house?
1: 18 years.
0: So that's interesting. I mean, I, I've lived in, I think, 50 houses in my <laughs> life. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm 53. Um, not through dissatisfaction, but just moving and, you know, rents running out or moving countries, etc. Or family growing and all that. I'm I'm very enviable of someone like you who've lived in a house for that period of time. That's probably the your kids are.
1: Yeah, they've grown up. Although my daughter did go through a phase of being very embarrassed about it. She would say, you know, she wanted one of those kind of North Shore houses with the um, big white kitchen, dining, living room out onto a pool. And she said, ours is very small and brown, mum. She kept showing me houses on um, realestate.com in Manly um, that looked just like that. But then she got over it.
0: Can I paint the the bricks white?
1: Yeah, exactly. Can I (laughs) knock through this wall for more view?
0: But when you're looking at the world of architecture, and you've been you know, highly instrumental and in shine the light on uh, iconic Australian architecture, do you not feel like a certain style or another architecture, another house, and you think, oh, I wouldn't mind moving?
1: Oh, I'm I mean, incredibly suggestible. I mean, I can go anywhere in the world and want to live there. I'm looking at real estate within two days. Ah, okay. But um, the reality is, I keep having to remind myself if The house we live in is rare now. You know, a lot of them have been knocked down, developed. We bought from the people who commissioned the house, so it hasn't been messed up in any way. And as I say, it's modest, um, and that's how we we like it and how we live in it. You know, in the 50s, that way of living changed so much in Melbourne and in, in Sydney. You know, floor plans, you know, kitchens becoming exposed, walls coming down, this relationship of inside to out. In Melbourne, you had all the geometry going on. So Australia really took to those new designs in a really major way. And I think it did contribute to how, you know, lives felt to be be lived in at the time.
0: I just had this visual of, of of the Brady Bunch house. Mm. Is it like that, your house?
1: No, it's... Um, Partridge family or whatever. It's, Brady Bunch. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, got, the it's got that wood, six, late 60s. Oh, 60s so, so it's right? wood and timber and, and glass. It's um,
0: beautiful. Well, you're obviously Irish. What brought you to Australia and, 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 I guess, in a way, Australian architecture? Well, I guess it's broader than that, though. It's not just Australian architecture that you're um, interested
1: in. It is in mostly. Broader. I mean, Australian architecture has been my entree into the architecture world. And it was sort of, well, I came to Australia because I married an Australian. And um, we were living in London. And I just sort of thought... We need a little adventure. I didn't want marriage and having a child to be about settling down and not. So I said, why don't we go to Australia for a couple of years? Uh, So we rented our house there and we, we came here. And a couple of years has turned into 20 years this year.
0: Did you get fired from Elle magazine or something? And that, that
1: time I didn't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> that time I came of my own. And That's then I big... got a job on Marie Claire Lifestyle, which was launching, which Lovely. was a great opportunity for me. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So in a way, I was lucky in that coming here, I was pitched right into the middle of that media world at a really exciting time. Mm. Um, it was Murdoch Magazines and um, Jackie Frank was editing Marie Claire. And, um, you know, so it was a really great time to be involved. And then you get to know people quickly because you're in a, you know, a, a position where you're commissioning people and, and so forth. So that was a huge benefit to me.
0: I guess a relatively small industry compared yes. to London too. Oh yes.
1: And also then with living in that house, it was really the house that that sparked the idea for the books. You know, I was on maternity leave and I was thinking, mm, well, if there's this house, there might be other houses. And, um, you know, I did a proposal around these These houses. So, you know, somebody once said to me, "How come it took someone not from Australia to do this book?" Um, And I go, "I don't really know the answer to that. It was up for up for grabs, but but it was just a series of circumstances that made me think that this would be a good idea. And and really, as I said, that that interest in that whole um, period has has grown over the last decade. So it's really good to have seeded, helped seed something and move it along.
0: Mm. I mean, really, we live in a very, um, I guess, disposable life these days. People kind of, a lot of dissatisfaction out there mm. in their lives. People have an abundance of, uh, you know, finan- not financial security. They have all that they need. In fact, I told a doctor the other day who's just moved from the western suburbs to, um, to Bondi Junction. And he was just saying, very interesting, the... Eastern suburbs people that he, he he talks to and deals with in his surgery, um, they have different issues uh, regarding you know compared to the guys in the west. Mm. Well, I guess it's a generalization, but the guys in the west he was used to working with were um, their main worry was was money. Mm. Whereas eastern suburbs, this again generalization, but the people have a lot of money, but they're still unhappy. And I just kind of, you know, what what is that? Do you think deep down?
1: I don't know. I think that's a really worrying thing, though, because um, you know you can just get into that spin. And I suppose, in a way, social media play, it plays a role um, in that. Like you said about everybody presenting their best house, everybody presents their best life, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's always fabulous, and people are on holiday and so forth. So you can see that people, um, it all everything appears very shiny, and so then it reflects back on yourself of going, oh, I'm just sitting at home today. Um, And it's, I guess, even more dangerous in a way with the next generation where they really believe that that's what everybody, you know, is doing. Everybody's, you know, slimmer, more tan, got more clothes, you know, that sort of thing. And it creates this sort of anxiety and insecurity when really, I I guess, it's less looking at other people and concentrating on your own thing.
0: I guess when you look at that, the magazines have created that, Kind of in a way, that template for how to present an idyllic life.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Guilty. Yeah, guilty. (laughs) You did it,
0: but it's now it's in the hands of everybody who yes. kind of in a way are, are replicating that.
1: That's right. And people are, um, you know, very good at it. I mean, the, the sort of ability to be a professional photographer has declined in recent years. And it's partly because suddenly the technology is there for everybody to do a pretty good job. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the professional with the $100,000 camera and so forth is 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 less required for lots of things. And also this increased democracy of communication, sometimes to tap into um, a success, successful blogger is money better spent than than you know with a traditional magazine because you're hitting a very direct audience and so i think the whole game is completely turned around it's yes,
0: completely changed mm. it's interesting because i mean we're, we're based in sydney and there's been a huge property boom and you property is the you know the conversation that everybody talks about all the time and it's in your face and it's you know there's a lot of amazing developments happening Idealic kind of apartments big big shift towards apartment living as well do you think do do you need an architect to design your home or if you already got a home do you need interior designer to choose the furniture what art you have you know the bits and pieces that you put in your home because not everybody knows what to do not everybody knows how to go about creating the ideal home for themselves.
1: I think to to start with the architecture side of things, I mean I think people always think of the physical form when you think I'll get an architect and they'll they'll make the shape and they'll um, decide the materials and things like that. But actually what I think they they do is is things that we as lay people don't think about which is sort of orientation and through breezes and uh, back to those things those kind of fundamentals i was talking about that in our house from you know 50 years ago um and and so the the pleasure in in living in a place isn't always about the physical structure of it it can be about how um light comes in and how you experience a view or how you know the view of next door is blocked so um the, actually the manipulation of of that space is often undervalued in the conversation about architecture. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, everybody you know wants the the, the form to to express. Something of of their um, aesthetic and so forth, but I, as I say, I think that you know they train for many years in order to look at something and see a solution that we couldn't, we standing beside our builder could never imagine, um, and that's what they, that's the X factor that they bring. Mm-hmm. With interiors, I think that's that's a bit different. I think it's 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 hard with an interior designer. You know, do they do the whole thing? Do they choose every Knickknack and vase and so forth or do you you know get help where you need it like recently I got someone in to help me decide where to put artworks and they came up with places and ways that I would never have thought now you would think oh is it hire a a (laughs) hubby it was hire a a man with a a drill and a good (laughs) idea about what worked together and it was an interesting process because you're kind of thinking oh yeah that that could go there and and so you'd think that why couldn't you do that between david and i what's to stop you but actually there are skills that are actually great to get in so you don't need to go the whole the whole um designer Route. Yep. Um, you can actually bring in different different experts that can help you in areas where you don't don't was that feel an very art advisor strong. What was that? Well, he was sort of more more. He was a um, a guy who. Um, had all the equipment to put things up, but he he worked in a lot of galleries and for a lot of private galleries and so forth. So he, he had a good sense of where things, you know, would would go. Mind you, when he went, I did move things around a oh, bit. Did you? Well, you, you know, it's hard to make all those decisions quickly, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, at least I had a hook in all these different different places. Yeah. And it really, really helped change the place because I'm a, I'm a buyer. I love acquiring stuff i'll see a great ceramic or a something in an auction and um and so you you sort of also need to get to a point where you don't overfill a place and i think ours is borderline our children have banned us from buying any more chairs (laughs) and they'll go how much was that in a very aggressive
0: fashion (laughs) (laughs) oh i see that's why i bought one of your chairs yeah exactly we're getting you're getting rid of it shedding stuff Um, Because your house, if it's built in the 60s and designed in the 60s, probably was designed around a family at that time. Yes. Is that right? Yes. I mean, how much of that is the architect just imposing this is how you're going to live? or how much of it is actually working with that family or that person who lived there. And uh, yeah, by that's, chance, an, that's, that's a it great question. Well with you,
1: yeah, because you know? I think it's changed over the years. The the we talked to the marshals who were the original owners and they said that they they didn't have very much money but they just gave it to Bruce Ricard and they went we need three bedrooms and, you know, and they just left him to it. They didn't interfere. Whereas I think when the architects I talk to these days, they're very keen to draw out, because our lives have become so much more specific, um, You know, some architects have questionnaires they give their clients so that they want to know how do they want to live? Do they get up early? Do they go to bed late? Do they want to, are they exercise freaks? You know, what matters to them so that houses are very much customised? So it's a huge luxury to have somebody think about your life and think about how that physical space can benefit how you want to be. And I think often it's questions that people have never been asked. And so they have to actually take a step back and think about what it is they enjoy in order to respond properly, in order to have the house built. So there is a really... um kind of quite um, strong process that goes on between client and architect to, to develop those ideas. I mean, I guess there are architects that go, this is how I do it and this is what you'll get. But I don't see that as the predominant um, attitude. It is much more about pulling out the specifics of people's lives.
0: It's interesting that you say it's a luxury, but I mean, obviously done well. It makes an incredible difference to your sense of well-being and enjoyment of the space, etc. Without
1: a shadow of doubt. I meant a luxury and maybe privilege is a better word, you know, to have somebody that, although you're paying them, to think intensely about what might make your life better and more enjoyable and your family life better. Um, So it's where we spend most of our time and I think also if people let go a bit of you know, real estate and resell and actually think about it for, for themselves, it also opens up more um, opportunities for something, you know, unique. And and there's a great quote from an architect called Richard Laplastrier who said, you know, that a good house should should fit you, fit you like an outer garment. Yep. You know, that idea that it's bespoke, it's for you.
0: Absolutely. Well, not everybody is, has a privileged life or maybe not now. I mean, some people just starting out, got, they just left home and they, they're living in a bedsit or whatever Spare room at a friend's house. Like, how how do you make your own space yours? How do how do you, you know, if this is a box, you know, how do how what do you put in it to make it? To make you feel good?
1: I mean, I'm a big fan of vintage furniture because I think that things that have had another life somehow contribute to something that's perhaps a bit soulless and it's plasterboard walls and so forth. And I think really at the end of the day, it's caring enough about your space. It's actually money isn't really the driver. It's really caring to invest the time and thought into what you like, what proportions will work. And, um, That really drives a good interior of of any sort. It can be spare, it can be collected, it can be vintage, it can be new, but but people who give it proper consideration, like anything in life, you look at somebody that's well-dressed, you know they've put the thought into how that all works together. And interiors are no different. So many people, it's just not their thing. They're into sport or they're into something else, and they, it's not a priority for them. But when you see people for whom it's a priority, it really shines.
0: Do you think that people who, who it's, it's not a priority for them, they just don't understand the difference it can make to them? Or is it just something their upbringing is... Created that situation.
1: I think it's like anything. There's got to be some kind of, you know, intrinsic interest in in um, in in wanting to do it. Because for for lots of people, you know, a comfortable sofa and a big TV and a coffee table, and that's sort of what you need. But it's all right for it not to be a priority for some people. Um, if it doesn't touch them in some way or they don't identify with it, it's fine for them not to be. Um, but you just can't resent those that do.
0: So, I haven't invited you around to my house, you and David around to my house. Are ever. you scared? I'm scared. I am. I'm glad you said that. I'm like, I'm going, oh, he's got that. But oh, we no, just he has got that. <laughs> Jeez, he's got strange tastes. I mean, like, does that come up? Do you ever get invited, invited around to his house?
1: <laughs> I don't, you see, I think you need to come to our house and experience the true nature of it. Not the magazine version, but the yeah, true yeah, version. Yeah. The dog with a dog nose has smeared the windows. Yeah. Where the, the I'll reality just turn up is. one day. Just as yeah, a yeah. Go, geez, what a
0: mess. <laughs> you somehow have a guest come in. I asked the question, have they designed their life? Have you?
1: You know what? I think it's taken me about 50 years to get to the point where I could probably answer yes. Um, that I've had to use all the skills from the past now, currently um, but before that it was a bit random
0: Thank you very much for listening If you want to know more about how others have designed their lives, check out our website designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective